life and death. On this fifth Sunday of Lent, we have for our unbaptized brothers and sisters, the elect, we have our third scrutiny. It's a a step, a ritual, um, an opportunity to be further prepared and cleansed by the Holy Spirit in preparation for baptism. But these readings are given to them to teach them something about baptism, as well as to all of us to remind us of what we have received in baptism, what our baptism means for us. And so here's the situation. Here's a friend of Jesus, and and the reading even, the Gospel of John kind of articulates how good a friend Lazarus is to Jesus, as well as Mary and Martha. And then Jesus waits two days to come see him. So yes, we're friends. Yes, we know that you care about us. But precisely in this moment in which we need you more than ever, Jesus, why does it feel that you're not listening? It feels like you're not listening to us. This experience that, that, that Martha and Mary and the people experience is something that we experience. That it feels like Jesus doesn't care. It's like he's just sitting around. So he waited two days. What's he doing? He's just sitting around. Why is God sitting around when I need him right now? But there's curious lines in our gospel. It, like even, even that point, it goes, so when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Like it doesn't make any sense. But then later he goes on too. He says, and I am glad for you, and I am glad for you that I was not there. No, no, you don't get it, Jesus. We wanted you to prevent him from dying. We wanted you to prevent him from suffering. And so I really believe that this experience that they go through, it's, it's what all of us experience. And it feels, what is it, you know, to feel abandoned by God? To feel like God doesn't care about my suffering? It's a little bit, it's a little bit like hell, right? That hell is the absence of God. And so we... We're experiencing that God is not with me. And if we're not careful, the the lie creeps in that, well, if God's not going to take care of me, you know what? I guess I'll, I'll just do it myself. You know what? Forget God. I don't need God. I'll do it myself. But that's a lie. It's a lie and something that, that all of us can fall into. Uh, a few weeks ago, that one of the Vatican offices released... Uh, a letter talking about basically modern heresies, which is pretty interesting because uh, we don't speak like this a whole lot. And what they said was that there's these um, resurgences, or basically have never gone away, of neo Pelagianism and neo Gnosticism. What are they? I'm glad you asked. Okay, so <laughs> Pelagius was a British monk in the fourth century. And what he said was, I, in order for me to be saved, I have to be perfect. 
I have to do everything right if I want to get into heaven. So the contrary is, I've screwed up. God's not going to let me in. Which, which is actually something I think a lot of college students, we, we believe. We're like, I've screwed up too bad. Because I've screwed up, God's not going to let me into heaven. And so Pelagius is like, I have to work hard to achieve salvation. The church called him a heretic. Because they said that salvation is not something you earn. It's not a badge for being perfect. Salvation is a gift of Jesus Christ. A gift that none of us are worthy of, but are invited to receive. That God wants to give this gift, and we're invited to receive. So, Neo-Pelagianism is kind of neo meaning new. It's like new Pelagianism for the year 2018. And this is what it sounds like. If and, and all of us can kind of, we've heard this, we can slip into this. I don't think people know what they're saying, but we're, we're analyzing it here today. If you were to ask somebody, hey, are you religious? Or, hey, are you, will you be saved? And the person responds, um, well, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, do you go to church? Are you active in a faith community? Uh, no, but I'm a good person. What are they saying? They're saying, I do good things, so therefore, that's enough to get me into heaven. It's, it's, it's uh, the old heresy just spun a little bit. Like, I don't need religion to be a good person. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't need religion because that's what in their mind religion is to be a good person it's like no that's not what it is religion is to receive the gratuitous gift of god that i'm not worthy of that his goodness wishes to give me the second heresy is neo-gnosticism gnosticism uh, coming from the word gnosis knowledge that by having certain information by knowing things that by being enlightened, that I can be saved. And so neo-Gnosticism, like today, is basically like, hey, are you active in a church community? And they say, no, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I have a relationship with God, but I don't need anybody else. I don't need a community. I don't need a family. And, and I, I think... Where does that come from? I think it comes from our weakness that um, I feel from being hurt. Like, I have to do it on my own. And sometimes people hurt me or bother me or challenge me. And so forget those people. I'm just going to do it on my own. But here's the problem. Lazarus can't save himself. You and I can't save ourselves. And I think every one of us has experienced this in some way. Like, I have a broken heart, a broken relationship, or I'm stuck in a sin, and I'm like, I can't get out of it. No matter how hard I try, I can't get out of it. But the biggest gift is I can't save myself. Only God can do that. And that's what we hear in the prophet Ezekiel, what God wants to do. Oh, my people, I will open your graves and have you rise from them. 
that God's plan is to lift us up from our brokenness for us to receive his gift of salvation, his gift of life, his gift of power over suffering and death. And so what happens? That Jesus shows up at the scene, and then we have Martha and Mary. They, they go to Jesus, and they're so real. I think it's beautiful. They say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. That's real. I think sometimes as Catholics, we're like, no, I, God, okay, God, you're right. I mean, I don't like this, but okay, your, your will be done. But Martha and Mary, from their relationship with God, they're able to be real with him and say, Jesus, we're suffering, and it feels like you don't even care. That's real. What God wants for us is not pretty perfect answers. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want pretty perfect Christians. He wants people open to receive his gift of salvation. Because when we're like this, we can't receive the gift he wants to give us. And so what does Jesus do? He listens to them. He goes to the tomb. He goes to the place of death. He goes to the place of pain. And what does he do? But he, he weeps with them. And Jesus wept. That God doesn't stand afar off, aloof, protected, but he makes himself passable, that is, able to suffer able to be hurt, able to cry, able to be sad. That Jesus allows himself, he descends into the depths of our human brokenness. There's a line in our creed that says, Jesus descended into hell. And I'm asked about that actually all the time, more than I would think, because people are like, wait, that doesn't, I mean, Jesus didn't really go to hell, right? I mean, because, I mean, God... If God goes to hell, then it's not hell anymore. And I'm like, exactly. That's exactly the point. That God loves me so much that he would choose to descend into the hell that I experience. Because as he goes there, as he enters that with me, that it begins to transform the experience that I'm having that I realize that maybe I'm not quite so alone. That maybe I'm not abandoned like I thought. That maybe God hasn't left me, but instead is joining me. That Jesus goes there, he who is the way, the truth, and the life. He who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. That Jesus is the one who can break the bonds that tie us in my sin and suffering and in death. That he's the one that can break that. He's the one that has broken it. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. Every one of us suffers. Every one of us will die. And Jesus is like, follow me for the way out. And so how do we follow him? How do we receive this? This is a line that um, Thomas says something very curious that I don't know that he knows what he's saying, but it's perfect. He says, let us also go to die with him. 
And it's like, uh, I don't think you know what you're saying. But where do we go to die with him? Baptism. That we have been buried with Christ in baptism so that we can share his new life and resurrection. That baptism is where I willingly, freely choose to die. I die with Christ. I die to sin so that I can share with him in his resurrection. I choose to go to that place of death so that I can share in his life. Just as Jesus chooses to go to that place in my life of suffering and death so that he can bring new life. And so baptism is where this happens definitively. But it also happens in in a bigger way for all of us. That this, this grace of redemption, it doesn't happen just when we die and are raised. But in all the places in my life that I feel overwhelmed, weak, broken, stuck in sin, where I see a dead end in darkness, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. That just as you look at the crucifix, just as from the greatest evil the world has seen came the greatest good, the resurrection, that when I bring him my brokenness, when I bring him my darkness, when I share with him openly in a raw way like Martha and Mary, that he's able to do what he wants to do and bring redemption. It's something that feels impossible. I love the, uh, the entrance antiphon, Psalm 18. The waves of death rose about me. The pains of the netherworld surrounded me. In my anguish, I called to the Lord. And from his holy temple, he heard my voice. That's what he does. Why is this important? I'll give you two reasons. The first, I didn't plan on talking about, but uh, after the first Mass this morning, I received a text message from uh, a graduate. The grandparent of a graduate died today. And so I went to uh, the hospice home to bless the body. And you open up the book, and the gospel that it gives you, the church gives us in that situation, is our gospel today. That in the face of death, in the face of the loss of a family member, we are reminded of the reason for our hope. That we are never too far gone. I am never fully removed from the reach of God's grace. That all God waits for is for me to turn to Him, to call to Him, and to receive His gift of new life, of resurrection. There's a a video I posted on my uh, Twitter and um, Facebook today about a man named Kevin. And the video was called... I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And you can kind of already hear what it's about. And he says in this video, I thought I was a burden to everyone who loved me because that's what my brain told me. That when I feel like alone, when I feel like I'm a burden, when I feel like nobody cares, that's, that's not reality. It's just what my, my brain and my chemicals and my emotions are telling me. 
He said, I, I said, nobody cares, but the reality was everybody cared. He went on to say that he experienced what all other 19 Golden Gate Bridge survivors said. The millisecond my hands left the rail, it was an instant regret. And no one's going to know that I didn't want to die. I think the greatest sadness, and we experienced it on this campus a week and a half ago, is when someone feels so far from God, like he doesn't care, that I'm overwhelmed, that I'm anxious, that there's nothing I can do, and to despair. But the reality is, I can't save myself. But there is one who pours himself out in love, who waits for me, who chooses to go into my hell in order to lift me from it. The Catechism says, paragraph 2283, about this situation. We should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives. We weren't made for death. We know deep down, I want to live, that I was made, that we were made for life. Why are baptism and faith and Jesus important? Because I cannot save myself. That's actually meant to be a liberating thing. That's not my job. Because I can't. So when I feel like I have to, I despair because I can't do it. I feel like I have to do something I can't do. But instead, what Jesus does, he reaches his hand out and he invites me to simply receive this gift. This gift that I was made for. This gift of life and resurrection. The one who conquered death wants to lift me from that place of death so that I can share in his life.